Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of A Mic on the Podium, with me, Michael Seal. Today, I conduct a conversation with someone whose career has taken him from Oldham, where he was born, to Malta, where he now lives. He has conducted all over the world in both Opera House and Concert Hall, and continues to juggle conducting, alongside being a superb organist and pianist. It's a pleasure to chat with Wayne Marshall. Wayne, what a pleasure to speak to you today. I hope you're well. Well, I'm fine. I mean, it's nice to be uh, having this opportunity to speak with you. And, uh, you know, of course, we are we are all of us going through very difficult and unprecedented times at the moment. I mean, I say that all the time, but, you know, it's it's a situation which we never experienced. And um, but it's, it's I think a lot of good will come out of this in, in, in some in some ways, because it's actually allowing us to be spending time with our families and to be discovering new things and maybe doing more practice, you know, all that sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, I wonder whether I could take you right back to your first earliest musical experiences. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm from Oldham in, in, in Lancashire, near Manchester. Um, I'm not, I might not sound like it, but I know that's <laughs> where I was born. And, um, I mean, my parents, of course, emigrated from Barbados in, in uh, late 50 and 57. And uh, I mean, they 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 are you know musical people as well. And so that's 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 very important. And of course, one thing that was very very important to them and to us when we were children was uh, the church. Every Sunday morning was spent uh, in, the, in the in the church, which is just around the corner. And um, of course, you know, going to hear this you know, the church music week week in week out. And my mother was also playing the piano then as well. So you know, my father's singing. So. It was inevitable that you know that that uh, that I would become a musician. I mean, I was always very very keen. Um, I used to sit and watch my mother play the piano, and then used to go and try and you know play exactly like what how she was playing it. Uh, th- it's things like that, you know. Yeah. So that's, that's basically the beginning of it. And did your mother teach you the piano, or were you given lessons by a, a piano teacher in inverted commas? Well, eventually, yeah. I mean, my mother did. You know, initially, I should say, my mother did actually start start you off. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, I was very keen. So of course, I was always very, you know, I was always you know, sitting at the piano. I didn't have to be told to go and practice. You know, I was just <laughs> very, very keen. One of those, one of those kids that always wanted to go and play. And then when I was what eight, I think it was, my father's, you know, decided that it was time for me to have uh, proper lessons with, 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 in fact, my mother's teacher. And yeah, in, in some ways, that's where the problem started because you see, before <laughs> then, I could, you know, I, I could play by ear, no problem. You know, all the things, you know, you know, every piece she played, I would just sort of sit down and play it. And I remember one lesson going, going to go to listen to my mother, and I was you know, playing in the in the background with my cars, and then you know she was playing the pieces. And the lesson didn't really go that well. And then my mother and the teacher went out of the room, and then I sat down and played all the pieces, you know, perfect. Just, just been, that's what I've been. That's what I did, you know. Yeah. And the teacher came and said, "Oh my goodness, what's this?" You know, and you know, I mean, the, I'm sort of speaking a little bit ahead of myself because that was actually before I started to have the lessons. You see, but then it wasn't too long after that that I started to have lessons. And um, although I could play by ear, you know, learning to read music was was quite difficult initially. Although, you know, I mean, I have perfect pitch, so I sort of figured out, you know, how, how, it, all, how it all went together. And then from then on, it was very, very easy. But it was just that initial few months of toil, you know, toil and torment with me not wanting to do as I was told and, you know, always wanted to play the accompaniments rather than the one note, you know, counting for four counts and two notes. And, you know, that was, that was, a, that was a problem. At what point did you then branch out into playing the organ as well? I'm assuming that would, again, have something to do with church. 
Well, definitely, because, you know, I mean, every week, of course, I was hearing this instrument and, you know, of course, I was dying to get my hands on it. And uh, although the, the and this happened actually when, when during the, because my local school, that where I went to, um, they always had a carol service in the church each year. So this particular year, the music teacher asked me to go and play a chord on the organ, G major chord, you can imagine. Mm. Well, I mean, that was it then, you know, I mean, you couldn't get me off that instrument for a few hours after that and that was it that's a, the rest is history as they say and also because uh, you know you're, you're sort of inextricably linked with piano organ and also the jazz side which none of the other people i've interviewed have ever really done were you because of your just picking up playing the piano from the start and having perfect pitch was jazz also an early sort of thing that you did yeah yeah well again it was just played by ear, but i mean i think that the jazz thing started i think when i was about nine i heard a performance of the gershwin piano concert on the radio Mm. And I thought, wow, this is amazing music. I really wanted to 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 learn it and you know, to get the score. And you know, I mean, I couldn't read music at that stage, but still, I was just very keen to hear this 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 music. And it sort of made it did make a very big impression on me. This this uh, the style of music of George Gershwin. I knew nothing about who this guy was or what this music was, but all I knew was that I I love the music. Mm. And so I suppose that that was the initial start, and then. I suppose when I was about, I mean, of course, I was always playing classical music anyway, basically. Mm. And when I was, I went to Chetham School of Music at the age of 11, until I left in, uh, in, in 79. And um, then, of course, in the, you know, the 70s was a big thing, you know, the, the disco era, you know, was a big thing. <laughs> you know, but I wasn't really interested in, in all of that. But it just turned out one evening that I went to a party at the school and it was... Um, this amazing music. This guy called Stevie Wonder, you know, this chap oh. called I Wish was on the was on the was on the record deck. And my goodness, I mean, you couldn't get me away. You know, I had to take the record home with me and played it all night until you know my mother was going crazy. And that again was a sort of introduction of of that kind of era, you know, the soul. And then you know, of course, I went and bought all the albums of Stevie Wonder and then Earth, Wind and Fire, all of that stuff. You know, mm. I started really getting into it big time. So of course, I you know my playing was also heavily influenced by all of that. So I was trying to sort of imitate and play like that. But uh, I suppose that I always had this innate interest and uh, temperament for you know the jazz feel. That's something. Mm. It's about the the feeling of the jazz. And yeah, yeah, I just always had a had a real feeling for it. And uh, I suppose that hearing all of this music of Gershwin and you know the '70s stuff was a great contributing factor to that. Did you enjoy Chet's, that sort of compressed music, musical learning, or everybody there having a common interest? Yeah, I did. I mean, well, let, let's put it this way. When I went, when I went to Chetham's in 1971, um, I mean, Chet's was, was very much like, an, like a kind of big grammar school. It, was not, it right. wasn't a sophisticated school of music that it is now. Yeah. Um, so there were a lot of kids there who were just ordinary students who were just studying normal subjects. Um, and then I suppose it all changed about about three or four years later, when then all the children in the school were musicians. Yeah. So it was a very interesting time, actually, this, this because, you know, there's a mixture of children who were A, musical, and B, academic. And, of course, you know, all the things like sports were a big deal. And, you know, it was a, it was a very different kind of different feel. But, but I loved it. I loved this, this the feeling. And, of course, there were, there were, there were people like, um, you know, David Hill, uh, who was, you know, I was at school with David Hill, and, you know, this great organist, and I just wanted to play like him, you know, I wanted to be as good as him. And so he sort of became an idol for me in a way, uh, you know, and so I just wanted to, 
practice and really be as good and you know just to just to really get to the top but i realized that i suppose that i realized that you know i'd have a long way to go because i mean i was still at the beginning of the school and he was very much at the top of the school mm-hmm. but somehow i sort of realized that yes i can't get there until i you know have to i mean i have to work hard so it was it was a good sort of discipline for me to realize that that there was a ladder that that had to be climbed mm. and had to be reached in order to to get to where where i would where i wanted to get to and and wonderful having idols of your own age as well the, the people you can look up to you know if you were playing the piano and organ in a normally com- normal comprehensive or secondary school those people might not have been there for you to have seen and gone right i, I need to work hard to get as good as him no, not not at all. I mean, it was. I mean, the school in Oldham was 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 a was a very nice school, and uh, you know, it was not a it was not a school of music. And I mean, I was the only child apart from my sister who were you know competent musicians, and apart from the music teachers. I mean, I used to play all the time for the you know for the school music classes and so on. But at Chet, when I went to Chet, then I realised that you know I was one of many, or one of a few who at least you know there were a lot of very good students in the school. So I knew that I then was at the bottom of the ladder. Which was good in a way because I then, you know, I, I, I then had to start to concentrate on my academic studies, and that music was not the only subject that was going to be important to me. But I mean, of course, it was important, but it wasn't the only the only subject. But uh, I think that you know, having having people who I had to look up to was a very good, uh, a very good foundation musically for me. So, on to the Royal College of Music. Did you study piano or organ, or both? I studied both, yeah. and I had two very good, two very good teachers uh, for organ. I had uh, Nicholas Danby and piano Angus Morrison. Mm. Two very good professors, very different in, in many ways. Angus Morrison was more keen that I should become a, a concert pianist, but I was not so keen because, I mean, you know, there were I just felt that I had more contribution to make as an organist rather than as a as a concert pianist. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, of course, what one can't be a, a good organist, and if you you know if you're not a good pianist, mm. so of course you know I mean I did have a lot of very good intensive training, also before at Chatham School of Music, uh, but the Royal College was was a different challenge in that I wanted to be concentrate more about more on organ playing. And so Nicholas Danby was was fantastic in that respect because I mean he only he taught me not only about organ playing but also about a lot about music and and performance. So yeah, I had a lot of very challenging repertoire to learn, which was good. And um, I mean the Royal College was good because it focused my attention on 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 practicing and and performing. Mm. And then in my second year at the Royal College, then I went that I went up for the organ scholarship at St George's Chapel, Windsor Castle. For, and I stayed there for three years, uh, and that was fantastic for me because, um, although I was very, very interested in becoming organ scholar at King's Chapel in Cambridge, uh, I went up for the trials there, but didn't have the academic the academic qualifications. But I would have been the organ scholar. I could have been the organ scholar mm. actually that, that year if I had the academic qualifications. But anyway, Windsor was was in a way a better choice for me because it, it presented me with. Of course, a situation where I was just playing for the chapel services under the direction of Christopher Robinson. Mm. 
fantastic organist and, and director of music and musician. Amazing, amazing man. And you know, it was as good as in that in that professional environment, day in day out. You know, I, I mean, I also had the the the, the opportunity to live actually in in the, in the in the in the castle cloisters, which is fantastic. So I sort of based myself there and went to London three or four times a week for studies, which was great. Just being in that sort of professional environment was, for me, the best, you know, because it was, you know, the standards had to be professional every day. So that was what I really, what, what really changed it for me. I remember Christopher Robinson very fondly when I first joined the CBSO. Uh, he was conductor of the City of Birmingham Choir, so he would conduct the CBSO and the choir two or three times a year. And yeah, as you said, a wonderful musician. Um, very dry sense of humour as well, and um, yeah, yeah, really lovely guy. I remember, I remember those days very fondly. Yeah, I mean, just fantastic. He was, you know, an amazing, an amazing musician to work for because he, you know, was so complete in in ways, and you know, it changed a lot of my outlook on on playing, and especially with him playing as well. That was one thing that I really, really learned a lot from Christopher about, you know, about him playing and. But, you know, it was just a fantastic time at St. George's. I don't think I could have had that experience anywhere else if I'd, if I'd, gone, if I'd gone anywhere else. But, but St. George's was a, was a major influence in my life at that time. And then I read, you go to Vienna, to the Ho uh, Hochschule for music. Again, organ? Yeah, that was just purely organ then. Mm. Uh, and that was on the recommendation of, my, of Nicholas Danby in London, because he, he had a, a friend of his was the... Professor Peter Planiavsky was the organist at the cathedral and also professor at the at the Hochschule. So I went. I got a scholarship, Austrian government scholarship, and was there for six months. I mean, it was great. It was a wonderful experience. Although I felt in a way that the Austrian and German tradition of music colleges is very different to the UK. It's you know the courses are much longer, some ten years. So wow. when I went to, I mean, you know, I'd left home when I was eighteen. You know, and oh. there were kids there who were, who were just who were just left home. Uh, at 18 and there were babies, you know, and they yeah, never yeah, had experience. Yeah. yeah, so it was very strange for me. I was 20, I was 23 or something. So it was quite interesting actually coming in when I, and then, I mean, I had a very, I mean, Peter, Peter Pelayaski was a fantastic organist and teacher. And, but I also find myself also assisting him with teaching some of the, assisting him with, with some of his pupils as well in, te in the teaching, which is, which is interesting. Um, but you know, I mean, Vienna at that time was a very interesting city. Although it's not, I mean, it's very different how it is now. Um, it's much, it's much better now. But, but it was an interesting, an interesting time to be there. Now, we've been chatting for about a quarter of an hour now, and at no point have, I, have either of us mentioned conducting. So, at what point did it really enter your life? Were you doing little bits and bobs throughout your studies as in piano and organ, or was it something you went to later on? Well, this is later. Um, I suppose the change came about really in 1987 when I went to Glyndebourne, or 86, was it 86? Yeah, 86. And then uh, I went for an audition for the, for the piano part of Jasbro Brown. Right. Actually, my sister was actually was the one who took me down to play for her, because I played for her audition. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, she was, you know, she took me down there and I played for her. And then, of course, they were very interested in me because, you know, obviously I could play the piano. And so uh, they, and then it was Simon Rattle, actually, yeah. our friend Simon. And so he gave me this part of Jasper to play, and I looked at it and then played it. And then, yeah, and then I got the, got the part. 
at that time, there was a very interesting uh, documentary being made about me by Granada Television in Manchester, Granada Television. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, of course, they came to Blindborn to, to film both Lally Lai and, and Blindborn and so on. That was one part of the, of the documentary. And they also interviewed... Uh, Simon Rattle as well, and he and on this interview he was saying that you know he said he would give me a bet that in ten years I would be conducting, and I said uh, yeah no chance, <laughs> you know I wasn't really interested in conducting, but yeah. I mean I suppose by the way of the he could tell the way because by the way I played the piano was very orchestral, very kind of you know this very bold orchestral rhythmic style of piano playing, um, and of course adding lots of notes and things, so I think there was something in it that he could hear. And so it was then, yes, um, 10 years, yeah, 10 years. Well, maybe it was probably a little bit less, little bit less than 10 years. Mm. Uh, I remember conducting uh, a youth orchestra. I was actually asked to conduct a youth orchestra in London, the Merton Youth Orchestra, on the recommendation of my then manager. And because um, I never conducted any orchestra before. I played timpani in the school orchestra at Chets and uh, some percussion. And I, I knew a lot of orchestral repertoire. And... Um, yeah, so the, the repertoire was the Crusell Clarinet Concerto Number no. 2 and Borden's Prince Igor Overture and the Fifth Symphony of Tchaikovsky. Mm. Well, I, I knew the Borden and the, and the Tchaikovsky by ear. You know, I knew how they went. But, you know, I mean, to conduct these pieces, I mean, it's a totally different thing. You know, how to, you know, what to do to make people play together. And, yeah. I mean, something seemed to work because doing it seemed to work. But there are a lot of places, of course, where things fell apart because I didn't really know the technical things of stopping and starting and so on, you know, and slowing down and, and all these sort of things. So it was always very difficult. And the Crucell clarinet concerto was a piece that, that I really had no idea at all. I mean, I didn't really like the music, but there were a lot of places where, which I didn't know what to do with it. Again, just technical things. Yes. So anyway, that was one, that was one experience. And then uh, the next, the next big step conducting for me came when I was asked to be assistant conductor uh, in the West End uh, for the production of Carmen Jones at the Old Vic Theatre. And the then music director was a guy called Henry Lewis. You know, I mean, very strict, very, very, you know, the old-fashioned old style of guy, but coming from a very operatic background. And, I mean, I really had no idea about conducting at all. You know, I really didn't know. And conducting Carmen was, you know, Carmen Jones, of course, all the music of Carmen. I mean, I was, I was playing the piano. He couldn't play the piano, but I played for all the rehearsals. And then, of course, it came to one point in the rehearsal where we were stage and all, the stage rehearsals, and I had to go and he asked me to conduct. And, uh, yeah, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> not really, not really. You know, I yeah, didn't, you know. Yeah. And so he then, he then, you know, after the rehearsal finished, then sort of said, he sat me down and said, look, you you have to learn. You've got to do this because I mean you know when when the show is up and running you know, you've got to you've got to take over. Yeah. So he then explained to me very. He just showed me how to conduct the. He put the first thing the the first recitative that Carmen sings. You know, the first thing that she sings. And it's full of stops and starts, yeah. and I had no idea. And then he just then he, then he showed me everything needs a preparation. Yeah. So ah so ah so you know. So this thing about the preparation. And I got it. Yeah. Ah, that's it. I sort of figured out how it all worked. Upbeats, you know, in time of what's coming. Ah, right, okay, good. At least I got the basic of it, the basics yeah. of it. And so then I started to conduct a few more rehearsals and, you know, it became, you know, there were some lots of situations where things went wrong, but 
in theory, once I start, once I stopped and, and thought about it, I just had to think, ah, oh, preparation, preparation. Mm -hmm. And then it came to the orchestra, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they came and the guys were, you know, these really hard-headed, you know, kind of, uh, you know, West End musicians, very kind of, you know, professional and, you know, no-nonsense stuff. And uh, yeah, I tell you, they really, they really took me to the cleaners and, uh, you know, exposed all my faults of, you know, inadequate technique. But it was it was a it was a good training, you know. I mean, I never I've never studied conducting formally in any. You know, I've never studied conducting, but I think that um, I'm not saying I'm not to say this is just because of what happened with my, with my own situation. I really learned conducting by conducting. Yes. Just yeah. And you know, I mean, you can you can study all you like in academies and everything else. I mean, I, I mean, it's a great it's a great idea, but there's nothing that can beat. The experience of actually being in front of real people, live people, with real instruments, and making music. Yeah. You know, yeah. conducting students all this have two pianists playing, and you know they play perfectly together, and it's all great. But the whole experience of dealing with a large group of musicians, of different different families of music, strings, woodwinds, brass, percussion, distance between A and B. All of these, and then you've got to make everybody play together. Mm. Now you can't recreate that in a classroom with two pianists. No, you can't. You, you definitely can't. Uh, and I think it's it's so important that you get that exposure to people as 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 often and as early as possible. Well, that yeah, as early as yeah, as often. And I mean, as I said, I've always said this: ninety percent of conducting is psychology because you're dealing with people, different groups of people all the time. Everybody, every orchestra is different. And so you have to, you know, and of course you have to know the music, you have to know the score, and you have to know what you want to do. And the rest of it is, you know, being a good musician and then, you know, being a good conductor and having a good pair of ears as well. I mean, I, I actually think, you know, looking back on my time as a player, that you would forgive bad technique, just the hands and arms and stick. You would forgive that if the person had done their homework, was a great musician, could speak to you and, and had worked out how what you were thinking and how you were thinking you would forgive any technical problems because you you would want to work for that musician but that's right but eventually you there, there comes a day when you have to fix the technical problems as well but you know that the dealing with the people thing is is so much more than just the waving of beating time um so much more yeah. and that's the thing that you can't learn in a classroom you no see. you I can't no you can't and i've said this to conducting students and i've had the pleasure of you know to, uh, of audition, of, well, not auditioning, but actually supervising in, a, in, yeah. in, uh, in uh, um, classes, conducting yeah. classes. And yeah, I mean, I can be, you know, I'm, yes, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I can see, you know, and it's quite interesting. You can tell that when they come and they, and they, they, you know, they're only used to was dealing with two pianos. You can see this straight away. I said, no, guys, they look. I said, you have to learn how you've got to, you know, to speak to people and to deal with people and. You know, are you trying to tell me that, you know, do you expect that the orchestra is always going to play cleanly as these two pianists will? Mm. I mean, suppose you have an amateur orchestra of a musician who really can't play. How are you going to make them play together? What are you going to do? Yeah, just, just saying follow my beat or play together doesn't work. You need to, you no, know, you no, need to get, get your hands dirty and into the, the problem. Before we get to the opera and the concert hall, 
um, because of your piano skills, was playing and conducting something that really helped at any stage? Um, you know, doing the Gershwin conducting and, and, and playing at the same time, or or immediately were you were you just conducting? I know that sounds like a funny thing to say, just conducting, because it's, it's bloody hard, but um, was the dual role a thing at all at the beginning? Well, it was. Always, it's always been a dual role. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a musician who plays and conducts. Yes. And that's, that's I, I, I enjoy both. And I think that, you know, I could not be one without the other. No. So, you know, this, I, the, 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 I mean, the idea of playing and conducting came from watching Andre Previn in the, in the mm-hmm. 70s when I was at school. You know, we used to have his uh, Friday nights, his music night from the, you know, from the, with the LSO. And he used to, he used to sit down and play. And that was a great thing. I mean, I used to... Mm-hmm thinking, oh, you know, that's, you know, how's, how's he do all that, you know? But of course I wasn't, I, I thought, well, it's great, it's very clever, but I mean, I was not a conductor then. Yes, yeah. But it soon became obvious to me that if I wanted to conduct Gershwin, works which I love so much, that the only way to really do it how I wanted to do it was to sit and play it and conduct it. Yeah. And so that's, that's it was it started with that. Yeah. And um, yes, I mean, it's it's something which 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 I do, you know, regularly with all the pieces of, of George Gershwin. I wish I could do it with a lot more pieces, but it's not, not always, it's not always possible. And, right. uh, but I think that, uh, the, I suppose the answer to your question is, uh, you know, I mean, the dual thing is, is, is very, very helpful in both, in both aspects. Yes, definitely. Another thing that I've always admired about you, because I have, I think we have this, a similar philosophy here, is that you could read your diary and see that you're conducting Rachmaninoff Symphony one week and then you're doing, you know, songs from the shows the next week and then playing and conducting the week after. Um, and it seems that it doesn't matter what the music is. If you love the music, you're going to do it. Um, where, and you've never been pigeonholed um, and said, you know, I'm a specialist in this, or I'm a specialist in that, I won't conduct this. I absolutely love that attitude and that's my own. Is that something that you've tried to always do, or is it just the way you, you would have always have been anyway? You you mentioned the word pigeonhole before, right. and I think it's fair to say that I was actually, you know, only considered or largely conduct, um, considered as being a, a Gershwin and Bernstein conductor, uh, uh. or American music conductor. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I wanted to get out of that because I said, well, you know, there's a lot of music which I, which I also do conduct as uh. well, but I need the opportunity to be able to do it. Uh. And so I suppose um, the time happened, this change happened for me when I was appointed uh, principal guest conductor of the orchestra Verdi in Milano. Mm. And, you know, of course, I went there, of course, conducting a lot of American music. But then they wanted me to branch out and conduct more, a lot more classical music. So whilst there, of course, I had the opportunity to conduct a lot of classical music. And, and that was actually very good, not only for my my repertoire but also for my ability as a conductor to be able to mm. delve into conducting Rachmaninoff or Messiaen or you know whatever was presented in front of me and works which are not that well known either so mm. you know it was very good to start from 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 fresh and that was a very good very good experience for me in, in that respect yeah. but you know as you said yeah for me the language of music is, is very very important I mean if, you know I I know what I like yeah. and I know what I do like and I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at so I'm not going to you know to pretend in front of people that I'm good at doing this when I'm not and I know I'm not so it's much better to be able to for me to decide or to at least to have a have a 
a say on the programme to say, well, yes, I'll do this or not. It's interesting going back to the pigeonholing thing. Um, was that good, just, just good timing, getting the job in Milan around the time that you thought you were being put in a pigeonhole? Or did you consciously try to make an effort to conduct Gershwin and Bernstein less? No, it wasn't. I mean, it was a it was a good time. It was good timing. They appointed me to yeah. Milano. Yeah, but I mean, that came about because of my, you know, the the American because I went there to yes. an American. Yeah. But uh, but this is a few years down the line uh, that that the change came about, and it was also you know partly to do with my with my then managers in London and various people were trying to say, well, you know, come on, I'm sure there's other things you can do as well or could do. Mm. We, you know, we want to see what what else you you know, and it was good. Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, I mean, one could put certain conductors in, in, in a certain pigeonhole, if you like. Yeah. But I didn't, yeah, I mean, it's always, of course, I'm, I was a, I wasn't in that kind of situation as well. But I also knew that I had the ability to be able to do other things. Yes. So that I just needed, I just needed the opportunities really to do it. And I think Milano helped me to, to, to do that. And then on to Cologne and the, an orchestra I've conducted, which I really enjoy conducting, of which your chief conductor... Um, the WDR Funkhaus Orchestra, which, yeah. as they told me when I first went there, we're, you know they, they proudly say that they're probably one of three orchestras in the world that consider themselves unique. How can there be three orchestras that are unique? But you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. But they, them, <clears throat> them and the RTE Concert Orchestra, the BBC Concert Orchestra, they literally will play anything um, from That's right. the heaviest to the lightest um, how did that co- come about that you first went there and, and then eventually became chief conductor? Well, I was actually um, the then manager of the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra came to Malta with the director of the, the VDR mm. who t- discussed with me about you know, becoming chief conductor. I mean, we met actually and we met in Leipzig. I, I, before this, though, I'd actually, I also did conduct the VDR Symphony Orchestra. Yes, yeah. In, a, in an American program, I conducted them before, but then this came. This came a year or two later, and um, so of course it was, it was. It was. It was great for me. I mean, you know, I'd never been chief conductor before, so of course it was a great thing to be. First of all, to be sounded out and to be headhunted for it. They wanted to have me there, and so that was in tw- that was in two thousand fourteen. So initially, the contract was only going to be for two years, but then it was extended. And for me, I mean, yes, as you mentioned, I mean, it's an orchestra that that, that really can play anything. And, that, and for me, this is very interesting because they they play such a diverse uh, repertoire. Mm. Uh, it's not just one thing, you know, they can play anything. And so musically, you know, for me, it was very, very good because they they have this ability to be able to switch from playing you know, the heaviest stuff, from operetta or to the lightest stuff or jazzy, whatever. Um, I mean, I'm still I'm still their chief conductor until until June, but mm. I'm I'm not going to be able to go back before. So my final concert will have to wait until when this whole situation is yes. is, is all over. Uh, but I can look back and say, for what I've done so far with in in in, uh, in Cologne, it's, it's been a it has been a life changing experience in many respects because you know it is a it is a fabulous orchestra and. The one thing I like about the job is that every concert is recorded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the standard has to be 101% every time. And that's mm-hmm. what that's what I like. And that's what we've enjoyed. I mean, there's been a, there have been lots of 
personnel changes in the orchestra over the years. But still, it's an orchestra, as you mentioned, like the BBC Concert or the RT Concert Orchestra. Uh, these particular orchestras that have this particular niche in that they can play virtually anything that I think makes them unique. And musically, it's challenging, yes, of course, yeah. but but very, very rewarding. Yes, of course, they can play anything. But what they do is they play it 30 seconds apart. You know, that that's the amazing thing, you know. The, the two times I've been, one was we recording where we did Let It Go from Frozen and then the Nina wrote a harp concerto. Uh, and then the next time, you know, we went from Tchaikovsky to Korngold to Vivaldi, then back to Rager. And and the, the switch was instant, you know, that, and that's the wonderful thing. that They know, well, we're in this idiom, we've got to play it like that. Now we're in this idiom, we've got to play it like that. Um, and that, yeah, it's a wonderful thing really wonderful feeling well it's, it's 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 luxury actually because yeah, you, it is. You, you know um there are a lot of symphony orchestras uh that couldn't do that and you know i mean if i go to an auction that's very classically orientated that i have to sort of get them to play gershwin you know and it's nice to have a week to rehearse oh. um and we we get there at the end but you know it's always a, it's always as I, and you know this this thing about you know psychology we we're talking about you know earlier about how you deal with people it's all about how you deal with people because you know you can talk to the brass section and say well guys i mean is anybody who's you know really plays lead jazz and you know and some of them might say oh yeah a little bit here right and then it's then it's up to me then to try to influence or to help them a little bit to say well maybe we could try this or or that and then the strings you know how to do all these sort of different things and the percussion players don't have to play like military band players mm. uh you know it's 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 fabulous trying to turn a very classically oriented orchestra into a kind of you know swing band, mm. for instance, and to and to know how to do that in a kind of uh, way that that sounds convincing. As you say, tapping into people's psychologies and mentalities, you can only get the results that you want if they're if they're hundred percent behind you or at least willing to try. And so yeah, if you have, yeah. don't have the people skills to be able to do that, that's you're 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 on a sticky wicket from the start. Sticky wicket indeed. Yeah, that's 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 a thing that you really have to just be, you know, really, you know, it's it's not something you're conscious of, but you just have to be aware of these yeah. things. And you know, and I suppose you, you you become aware of it when you see other people in the situation, and then you say, right, you know, what's missing here? Or okay, well, you know, and then you that's what it is. It's it's something you you can't you can't study it. You, you just have to just it has to be there. Mm. You can't study it in the classroom. Sticking with WGR because I'm, you know, the amount of repertoire that you probably would have got through. Um, do you have a set way that you learn a score? Um, this podcast, I'm trying to sort of reach out to classical music lovers, but also to conducting geeks. So, when you come to learn a score, do you, with your fabulous piano skills, sit down and play it at the piano first, or do you just sit down at a desk with pencils and and do it that way? That's, how do you, how do, you exactly do it? What it? Yeah. But I have, I have to move a bitch, so I mean, I can hear it and read it so yeah. uh yeah i mean that's that's one advantage of having perfect pictures that i can hear the score and i mean so, certainly one gets good at or better at dealing with transposition instruments as the more you the more scores you look at i mean i still struggle with saxophones and stuff like that because the plane's just, oh that's, saxophones that's, and that's, e flat. oh oh yeah oh, oh it's funny keys yeah. you know, I, you know <laughs> I always joke with them with uh sections of the auction with the transposition instruments so well I say, yeah, well, you're playing some funny key. Just play it for me, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'll stop like that, you know. Just play it for me and I'll tell you. Oh, yeah, that note there is, is not the right note. Yeah. 
But, you know, I mean, yes, I think it's very important. I, I mark phrases. I like to, you know, divide the music into phrases. I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. And in some, in some kinds of way, I'm sort of memorising it. And so, you know, putting these mark in these lines in the scores actually helps to see whether it's an eight-bar phrase or a six-bar. Yeah, and it's good, actually, when you can conduct... Because I think one, one thing that's very important is conducting is, is to look at the musicians. Yes. You know, even if you don't know the score that well, it's a look at the musicians. And that's why having these reference points can actually, in a way, sort of guide you through to remembering and to know what's what's coming you know mm. it's a personal thing so wayne it's on to the 10 questions and like everybody else you will be asked the 10 questions that i always ask and the first two are what sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate well, let's, let's go with the sound I, I hate, and the sound is thunder. Oh. That's one thing I really don't like, the sound of thunder. No, I don't like it. It's, uh, in fact, thunderstorms freak me out anyway. <laughs> so that's thunder is, is definitely the sound I, I, I hate. So the sound I love... Uh, well, so that's a very difficult question. I mean, I love the sound of, of music. I mean, I think that's a... You know, it, it, it covers a, a wide range of, of different sounds, isn't it? You know, it does. Sound of the sound of music. I mean, forgive the pun, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sound of music. If you had twenty four hours free, what would you spend it doing? I would be, if it were possible, to be at Notre Dame in Paris, making it making at the ultimate organ CD with great recording equipment, and. Um, you're just displaying some really great music on that, what I think is the best organ in the world. Despite the fact that the church, of course, is, is, is no longer functioning for the mm -hmm. time being, but it has the best organ in the world, and that would be the place where I would just love to go and make an organ CD. Who would be a favourite conductor of yesteryear? Um, Yevgeny Mavrinsky, this great conductor. I, you know, I, have, I have a lot of great memories of him conducting, and you know, especially... Tchaikovsky symphonies, but whatever he did, I mean, whatever he conducted, it seemed to be unique in the sound that he was able to create. I mean, he was a strict disciplinarian, you know, and, and the videos that we are fortunate to have on YouTube, you know, showing of, of him rehearsing are fantastic. And who would be a favourite current conductor? That's difficult, really, to say. Uh, I don't, I mean, si I look up to Simon Rattle a lot, uh, you know, he's a great musician. But I don't really have a favourite conductor as such of today. It's, it's, that's very difficult because, you know, there's so many conductors now. So I can say that people I've worked with, like Simon, you know, we've worked a lot together and, you know, he's a great, a great guy to work with and a great musician, great conductor. What is the hardest work you've ever conducted? Well, I can say the hardest thing I've conducted was conducting West Side Story, the film. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, because... Uh, I mean, I know the music inside out, but the film, when I, the first time I conducted the film um, was, of course, a situation where I had, where all the orchestral music was taken out of the score and you heard the singers, the singers were singing, the orchestra, the live orchestra had to provide the accompaniment. Mm. And, of course, we have to follow the, you know, the, 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 the 
the screen. You, have to, you see the film in front of you, and then you have to conduct to it. So basically, we had to be robots. Yes. And even though I knew the music, I just... The initial rehearsals of this were disastrous because I was... I, all I wanted to do was interpret. Yes. And so once I stopped interpreting and following, then it was all right, but it was... I can't say the word here on live on, on air. <laughs> it was, you know, it was hellish, you know, yeah. for me. It was, yeah. You know, you had to follow, and it looked very easy when you when you watch it. Oh yeah, fine. But actually, when you have to conduct it and do it, that's what I found very difficult. It's it's really really hard. I've done, <laughs> I've done it once. I did North by Northwest. What? Just North by Northwest. Yeah. So I wasn't even following singers, but you have to say to the orchestra, "Look, basically, I'm being a robot." You know. There's no space for what we would call music making. Interpretation. Yeah, nothing. Um, no. it, it, we play the right notes, we play it in the right rhythm, we play it in the right balance and the right feel, but it has to go there. Nowhere else. That's right. Yeah, it's, Nowhere else. Yeah, it's yeah. just so hard. And some orchestras are yeah. good at that, and some orchestras are really not very good at that. Because yeah. they're free, and, they're, and they're, you know, they've got a freer sort of outlook. Um, That's right. Yeah, and it, it was a toss-up between that and the piece I chose when I answered my own ten questions in the first episode, between North by Northwest and what I eventually chose, because it is so hard. Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody's sitting there with with, with headphones, mm. and uh, they can all hear the click. And I mean, talking about West Side Story, the hardest thing in that, in that is actually the prologue at the beginning, and then the fight, the rumble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because some of it is the rumble, particularly some of it is so fast. Mm. Virtually unplayable, you know. I mean, you know. So I had to sort of devise ways of getting them to play it by not playing it forty, but play, maybe playing all pianissimo or something, just to get yeah. the, get it in there, you know. Yeah. And the prologue, you know, because it changes tempo all the time. You know, you 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 know, it's not this question of sitting down and just go. Oh, that that was. I said I said after the first time I would never ever do it again. <laughs> and I've done it another three times. <laughs> It's that moment, isn't it, when you, you think, hang on, you're, you're always doing mathematical calculations. You're thinking, well, hang on, I'm half a bar out here and a green streamer's going to come across my screen in a minute and I've got to hit that point. Yeah. Uh, so I better, yeah. rush, I better rush for half a bar or to see if I can get it back in three and a half bars or whatever it is. It's so tough. When travelling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without? My, my phone. What is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? Um, I think dress, what we wear. If I could change something with orchestras and, and conductors, I would say, you know, why do we have always have to wear tails and all of that kind of stuff? Why can't we just wear just normal clothes? I mean, in the states, they've they there are orchestras who do these concerts for 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 you know in what they call um, casual dress or jeans concerts or whatever. I mean. The, the, the whole orchestra could be naked on sta stage and still play brilliantly. So it's not about what people are wearing, it's mm. how they play. Yes. And so all this, this fuss about, you know, what we have to wear and, you know, but sometimes it just gets, for me, I find it, it gets a little bit uh, pedantic. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't really enjoy wearing tails. I don't enjoy wearing tails. I like to wear black, uh, black clothes or, you know, but I'd be happy to go and perform in anything. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Being a pilot. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I mean, flying is part of my 
daily life, I suppose. And uh, you know, I, I've always loved aircraft from a very early age. In fact, I think I even wanted to be a pilot when I was younger, but you know, music was more important. But the whole thing about you know aircraft fascinates me. Flying fascinates me. You know, how planes go from A to B and. My my favourite app on my phone is Flight Radar Twenty Four. It's a fascinating app, I have to say. And oh. you are you are the third person to have said airline pilot or pilot. And yeah. of course, and of course, one of them I had to change the question because he already is an airline pilot, which is Daniel Harding. Oh, <laughs> oh da- yeah, he is. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So Daniel he want- is a pilot. Yeah. If the world were to end tonight, what would your choice of final meal and drink be? Well, it would be um, a good shoulder of lamb with roast potatoes. Uh, the starter would be maybe some, you know, some good Italian salami. The dessert would be some chocolate ice cream and a packet of chocolate digestive biscuits. <laughs> and the drinks would be a bottle of sparkling mineral water, uh, a can of Coca-Cola, and a, a beautiful bottle of white wine. Um, Wayne, what a pleasure it's been talking to you. And I hope we can meet up again very soon. Thanks, Michael. It's been fantastic for me and really, really enjoyed it. And uh, stay safe, as we say. A mic on the podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I chat to a conductor who has held positions in England, Scotland and the United States. His early experiences as an orchestral player, added to his long and distinguished career as a conductor, led him to write his superb book entitled Inside Conducting. Until then, bye bye.